Sometimes there's nothing to say in a moment, but just an acknowledgement of, God, you do reign. Regardless of what um, externally life can tell us, internally life can tell us, God, you reign. And we are grateful. We are thankful. Um, <clears throat> Happy New Year. I feel like that's... I feel like I have to say that, don't you? I feel like um, even if you've been greeted and wished Happy New Year 27 times already this morning, I feel like there would be something missing if I didn't say that. Because um, it is New Year's Day. And we're in church. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to just say it, right? So of all of the team, clearly I am the one with the lowest gift of faith, Right? Because I am shocked at how many people are in this room on January the 1st. But I love that it's amazing. I, I love that this is how we're, we're starting out 2023. Um, I wonder what the word gospel means to you. I wonder if that's a word that means anything to you. Or um, what you think of when you hear that word. Um, it's kind of a church word. A lot of us um, know that, that it, it actually means good news. Um, but for me personally, growing up, gospel meant one thing, okay? Because I grew up in a church tradition that had a gospel meeting every Sunday night at 7pm. And there's some people I can't look at right now because they grew up in the church tradition and they know exactly what I'm talking about and they'll make me laugh. Um, and every Sunday night, I would go to a gospel meeting. Um, when I was very young... I used to have to go to all the ones that my dad spoke at because I had to go with my mum and dad. That was what was required of me. I wasn't allowed to stay at home. Um, but sometimes I would be in the, the church that I, would, that I called home that I grew up in. But we had a gospel meeting and um, different gentlemen would come, not usually from our congregation. They would come and they would speak. Some of them were cool. Some of them were all right. Some of them, you wish you had a wee pillow, maybe, during them. You know, but regardless of the quality of the message, there was one, one set of brothers. I'm not going to name them, just sure that there might be somebody related to them. Northern Ireland's way too small. Um, there was one, these guys used to come. I loved it when they came. Cause for a start, there was two of them. And like, it's an hour-long service. Two voices are better than one. Um, there was two of them. And they were... Um, Bread servers, is, I, I don't really know what that means, but they used to deliver bread. I don't know whether it was to shops or whatever it was, but they had so many stories because they met so many people. And so when they spoke, they used to tell at least 10 stories each. You were disappointed if it was a nine-story night. It was 10 stories each, and that's class because you know what it's like when somebody tells you a story. It just catches your imagination again. So as a kid, I loved it when they came because you knew there was going to be lots of stories. But regardless of the style of presentation or whatever, Growing up to me, the content kind of landed very similar like. So forgive me if this is not your experience, okay? But this is what the gospel meant to me when I was growing up. There were kind of three parts to it. Part number one, I've sinned. I'm a sinner. I've rebelled against God. Jesus came and died on the cross to save me. 
because I needed a saviour, right? That was, um, so part one was that I have sinned and actually added on to that if it was a dramatic night was that um, when you died, you were going to hell, right? Um, I was a child. Moving on. Jesus died to save me. That was the good news. And the result of that was that if I chose to put my trust in him, I would go to heaven when I died. Is that familiar to anybody in the room as a message that you're familiar with? Okay, so that was what the gospel meant to me. I want to be really clear because the tradition I grew up in had so many great things going for it. And I really like, I'm so grateful for it. So I'm not, I'm not saying they were wrong. Um, and I'm not saying that's all that they preached. I'm saying that's all that I heard when I was a kid, right? Because that was the overwhelming message that I got every Sunday night. And I want to suggest to us today that that gospel is not the gospel that Jesus preached. Because that gospel is all about me. It's all about my personal salvation. It's all about... Where I, actually, it's primarily about having a destination to go to when I die. It was very clear, that message, on the two destinations that apparently exist. But not very clear on the roadmap of what happens in the in-between. Um, and I don't think that that is the gospel that exists in the New Testament. Because I think the gospel begins way back with a tale of two kingdoms. Kingdom number one, God creates the world and he delegates the dominion of it to humanity. In Genesis chapter one and verse 26, it says, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. God creates a world He creates human beings and he creates human beings to rule that world. It's not that we're now in charge. It's that God has given us the authority to be rulers. It's kind of like, very maybe rocky example here, but it's kind of like when, you know, when our kids got to a certain age and we decided that it was safe to leave them in the house by themselves with the oldest in charge. Well, those of you who know well probably don't think we were very wise, but moving on. Um, And so occasionally, John and I would go out and the message was given to the kids, Will's in charge. Now, that did not mean that Will got to make all kinds of decisions about our house, right? He had delegated authority for that period of time. And when we arrived back in the house, his authority disappeared and we were back in charge. That's how it worked, okay? The weird thing about our kids was they always behaved way better for him than they ever did for us, right? Just saying, okay? So it's kind of like that. God delegates authority to us. He gives us the right to rule. But the truth is that humanity gave away that authority. In Genesis chapter 3, It says this in verse 17, To Adam God said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground since from it you were taken. For dust you are and to dust you will return. Yes, I know it's New Year's Day and you're thinking, that's not really an uplifting message, Debbie. Okay, But it doesn't sound like Adam was ruling anything there, does it? Because humanity gave away its right to rule. 
Kingdom one was the kingdom that God created and handed authority to us. That kingdom was supposed to last forever. We handed away that authority. We gave it away to someone else. And kingdom two enters. Kingdom two is the kingdom that is, called the, that is the one known as being ruled by the prince of the power of the air. This is a character that appears in scripture and is given other names like Lucifer or Satan, the devil or the enemy of our souls. And that for me is why the personal salvation message that I received every Sunday night at 7 p.m. was simply not enough because, you see, that's not what Jesus came to do. He didn't just come to ensure that I had a way to get to heaven when I die. Jesus came to create a way that he could reestablish the first kingdom, his kingdom, the king, the kingdom that was supposed to last forever. And so what Jesus does does whenever Jesus arrives on the scene is that Jesus sets about returning humanity, all of humanity, or as many of humanity as want to, he sets about returning us to the image bearers that we were always created to be. He starts with 12. We call them the disciples. He calls them. He calls them to follow him. And he teaches them and he shows them by how he lives his life and the things that he does, what his kingdom looks like. But the truth is that the restoration of God's kingdom comes at a price. You see, humanity had rebelled. And that rebellion had to be dealt with. Justice had to be done. And so the king chooses to see that justice is done, not by doling out punishment to his subjects, but by choosing instead to become a sacrifice himself and to go to the cross and to pay the price for our rebellion himself. He had not rebelled, but he chose to be punished for our rebellion. And in that sacrifice... Jesus defeats the ruler of the second kingdom, the prince of the power of the air. The moment he stepped back out of that tomb, the moment he rose from the dead, he demonstrated forever his victory, the fact that he is king. And you see, then the way was created and cleared for Jesus to set up, to reestablish his kingdom for any and all who want to live in it. So what does it look like to live in God's kingdom? Well, while Jesus was on earth, <clears throat> he, um, he kind of set out a wee bit of a manifesto, if you like, for a description um, of the kingdom. He doesn't, if you, the reality is, if you read from the start of the Gospel of Matthew right through to the end of the Gospel of John, you will kind of, and put it all together, you get pictures and, and images and ideas of the kingdom of God scattered right throughout um, all of Jesus' teaching, the things that he did, and so on. But if you kind of want of a condensed version, go to Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. We call it today the Sermon on the Mount. But in that teaching, in that extended teaching that Jesus gave, that Matthew recorded for us, we find a lot of description of the kingdom, what it would be like to live as a citizen of God's kingdom. I am not going to try to do the whole Sermon on the Mount. I just want to do three things. 
In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25, it says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single R to your life? Jesus says that someone who lives in his kingdom can live a life without worry, without anxiety. Can we imagine that in 2023? A life without worry? A life not lived in fear and anxiety? A life where we don't need medication to help us with that? A life where we don't fear what's coming down the the pipeline, a life where we can live open-handed and generous because our lives are entrusted to the king of the kingdom? Is that possible? Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to stumble, guide it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. Jesus is saying it's possible to live a life without lust. We live in a world where we would dearly love to see the end of crimes like human trafficking. So does God. But actually, God wants to go even deeper than that. He wants a world where human trafficking couldn't occur. Because within the heart of every human being, there is no desire to turn another human being into an object of sexual gratification. That doesn't just mean no human trafficking. That means there would be no porn industry. That means there would be no need for a a prostitution industry. That means there would be no um, pedophilia. There would be nothing. Can we imagine a world like that? Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of salt? If you ever didn't think Jesus was funny, I kind of think he's being funny here. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Here, let me take the speck out of your eye while all the time there is a plank in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the plank, the plank. I mean, get the imagery in your head here. The plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Those verses are my justification for sarcasm. You're welcome. Anyway. Imagine living in a world where we no longer feel the weight of needing to judge everyone around us, constantly deciding whether or not they're worthy or whatever of our attention. Living in a world where we don't need to compare to others, where we don't need to feel any reason to diminish someone in order to make myself feel better. I have a funny feeling that a world like that would contain a very different social media feed. Well, the comment section anyway would probably be quite different in our social media feeds. 
than what they are at the minute. But Jesus says, this is my kingdom. This is the kingdom that I am seeking to establish. Now, I am not attempting today because you're all sitting there going, but that's not the world we live in, Debbie. And I know it's not. So I'm not trying today to to explain how this kingdom is brought about. That's way, way above my pay grade. That's what God does. But I am simply offering to all of us today some pictures that Jesus painted of what it looks like to live as a citizen of his kingdom. Because this, I believe, this is the gospel that Jesus preached. Jesus said, come, follow me, enter my kingdom, and spend the rest of your life learning to live like this. That's what I believe is the offer of Jesus. His offer comes in Matthew chapter 11, and this is a little section of Matthew's gospel that I call the gospel according to Matthew. I think the whole thing is encapsulated here. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is an invitation about how we can live today and what we will one day experience in the future. Come to me, Jesus says, and I will give you rest. That's his gift to us. He gives it to us when we come to him. Take my yoke and learn from me and you will find rest. Rest is the promise. When we choose to come to Jesus, he gives it to us as a gift. How do we work that out and actually experience rest in our lives? We do it by this weird thing that he says, which is take my yoke on you and learn from me. A yoke was this wooden piece of wood that you put over two oxen and they used it to plow. And the two oxen had to, work, had to work at exactly the same rate, walk at the same pace, go in the same direction. They stayed completely in step with each other. That's how the yoke worked. Jesus says, take my yoke. Who's on the other side of the yoke? It's me and Jesus, yoked together. You see, in Jesus' offer of the gospel and his offer of the kingdom, there's only one option. It's to live as a disciple of Jesus and to live life his way. If I don't want to do that then I can't be a citizen of his kingdom. It's not about following a bunch of rules and regulations, which sometimes it can feel like. It is about lifting the yoke every single day, choosing to place it across my shoulders, choosing to yoke myself to him, to walk at his pace, to go in the direction that he sets, to walk at the pace that he sets. I've heard this comment so many times over the month of December about the three mile an hour God. I don't know if anybody else, I cannot remember the person who wrote the book where this comes from. This idea of the three mile an hour God. Jesus went everywhere at three miles an hour because he walked. And that's the average pace that a human being walks at. How many people drove here this morning at three mile an hour? If you did, you're the most hated person in Northern Ireland right now by the people who were behind you. We don't go anywhere at three mile an hour. We get irritated if the person in front of us on the dual carriageway drives at 69 instead of 70 mile an hour because this, you know, speed limit's 70. I get it, I'm just saying, right? 
walking at the pace that Jesus walked, paying attention to what Jesus paid attention to, being with Jesus, becoming like Jesus. And the promise that he makes in Matthew chapter 11, and the reason why I get so passionate about this is because I have spent months studying these three verses, right? And the the promise that Jesus offers us is if we will do this, if we will take his offer of life in his kingdom, living out the gospel that he actually preached, here's what he says. When you put that yoke on you, here's what you're going to find. It is tailor-made to fit you. It feels easy. The burden is light. It's not that life is easy. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we find a way to live life in a way that brings peace and rest because we are yoked to the king. I don't want you to hear this today as a new year, new you message. Those frankly never work. I hope you didn't bother to make New Year's resolutions because you've probably already broken them. But the truth is, in some ways, all of the stuff that I've talked about, walking at Jesus' pace, listening to Jesus, following Jesus, seeing what Jesus does, stopping when Jesus stops, that was way easier for the 12 disciples because they were physically with him, and that's what they did. And we can struggle because we don't see him. And this is not about us just trying really hard. This is about us inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives, asking him to help us to do what we cannot do. That's why Jesus promised the gift of the Holy Spirit. See, I can't carry the yoke for one day by myself. I can't even lift it off the ground. Every day it's about me asking the Spirit to help me to fill me, to empower me to do what I can't do in my own strength, to lift the yoke, to stay connected to Jesus, to walk as he is teaching me to walk. That's what I would love for each of us this year in 2023. Over the next few weeks in church, we're going to spend some time in the Gospels getting to know Jesus, hearing what he teaches, seeing what he does. I would invite you to come along to be a part of that, to dig into that, to get to know the one that we say we follow to get to know him better so that we can follow him more confidently. Um, If the band want to come up, we are going to um, celebrate communion as well this morning. So if the servers kind of want to head to the back and the band can come to the front. Um, I don't know, maybe some of you who are listening right now, you're thinking, well, what do you mean by stay connected to Jesus? What do you mean by lift the yoke, Debbie? I'd love some suggestions on that. It's kind of, I would be happy to have that conversation with you if you wanted at some point, but that kind of wasn't the point of my message this morning. The point of my message this morning was, do we understand the gospel that Jesus offers us? If you're someone who has never chosen to trust Jesus, is this the gospel that you rejected? Or did you reject some idea of some distant place in the future that you're not going to think about anyway? What about here and now? What about this kingdom? The kingdom without worry, the kingdom without lust, the kingdom without fear, the kingdom without judgment, the kingdom where Jesus is king and where he chooses and he sets the agenda of how life is to be lived. Is that the gospel that you rejected?
would you think again about the kingdom that he calls us to live in? And what about those of us who have chosen to follow Jesus? Are we truly living as citizens of that kingdom? Or are there areas in our lives, areas in our hearts and our minds where we're still choosing to live by the habits and practices of the second kingdom, that kingdom that we grew up in for a lot of our lives? Are we living as God calls us to live? Choosing to let him be king. Choosing every day to lift the yoke and connect ourselves to Jesus. Because can I just remind us, just before we take communion, communion being this celebration that Jesus um, himself set up with his followers, where he, um, he told them to take bread and to take grape juice and to use those symbols to remember his sacrifice at the cross, his body broken, his blood shed for us on the cross, the sacrifice that the king of the kingdom made so that the subjects of the kingdom could live in freedom. This is the king who gave himself for us, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, took the very nature of a servant and was made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And here is how we know that that death was victorious. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. As we remember him this morning in the bread and the grape juice. Let us be thankful for the King who gave himself for us, whose victory in his death has made it possible to reestablish his kingdom. He invites us all to come and follow him into the best kingdom, the life that we were all created to live. Let's remember him together this morning. Let me pray for us just before we take the communion. Father, I am so thankful for the gospel that Jesus preached. I'm so thankful for the life that you offer to us and the kingdom that you have made it possible for us to live and we do not do it perfectly. Sometimes it's unrecognizable, but Father, we ask at the start of 2023, would you show us the way? Help us to see how we can lift our yoke every day connect ourselves to you, Jesus, and allow you to lead us, to live as you call us to live, to be the people you call us to be. Help us this year, Father, to be much more focused and intentional as we disciple ourselves to him. And as we remember you this morning, Jesus, the one who gave himself for us. Oh, we are so grateful. We are so grateful for the sacrifice that you made, for the life that has been possible for us. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your death and your resurrection and all that that has meant for us in Jesus' name.